Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Chris Rio. Good morning, everyone. Before I jump into the message this morning, I just want to thank our worship team. I don't know if you appreciate them as much as I do. They're super talented musicians, but what I love about them the most is their heart. They have a heart to worship God. Even during rehearsal this morning when I came in, they weren't just practicing, they were worshiping. And it was just, it's an incredible thing to have a group of people who love the Lord, have a heart for God leading us in worship every Sunday. Let's give them one more round of applause. Have you ever done a building project in your home? Currently, my wife and I, we're redoing our basement. We're finishing it. And when I say currently, it's been about a two-year project. We're slowly doing one step at a time. But in order to refinish a space or renovate a space or create a space, there's several things and several steps that you need to take in order to do this. So the first thing that we had to do when we were going to design, do our basement is we had to come up with a design for it. What's it going to look like? Where do we want walls to be? What do we want to have down there? What kind of rooms do we want to have down there? So you had to, we had to create a design. The next thing we had to do is we get people to come out and they put up the walls, the wooden studs that go in, to, in your wall to set up your walls. And you, ha- you put the walls up next. The, the third thing we did is people come down with drywall. And they take this drywall and they, they nail it to your walls. And they mud it and they tape it and they sand it. Then you get painters and they come out and they paint the walls. And then you get another, pro- I'm sorry, I missed a step. Some of you guys who are contractors, you're like, what about the electrician? Did the electrician come in? Yes, the electrician comes in after the walls. I apologize for that. The point is, you have to have several different people with several different skills and talents in order to accomplish this project. And at the end of it, you have something way better than what you started with. I'm always amazed at the building process and the amount of communication and skilled labor it takes to actually complete a project that looks great at the end. Like some of you noticed our phase one building or our youth center that we just redid, it was a big project, a lot of communication, a lot of different skilled laborers in this process. Whenever you're building something, it takes everybody. It takes a bunch of different people with a bunch of different skills coming together to build something great. And that's really what this series, Rise and Build, is all about. It's the goal of the church to rise, to restore our passion for God and our passion for reaching people for Christ. It's a call to the church to rise up and build the kingdom of God. And so we're looking at Ezra and Nehemiah, and I just want to give you a little timeline of what's happened so far. The first thing we have is we have a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. He leads God's people back out of captivity, out of Babylon, 
back home to Jerusalem. He starts a sacrificial system and they begin building the temple, laying the foundation for the temple. As they get into building the temple, opposition comes. Pastor Tony talked a little bit about this last week. The opposition came, people came, and they tried to halt the project, and they were successful. They sent a letter to the king, and the king said, you know what, we got to stop this project. So the king gave an order to stop building the temple. And that's kind of where we're, we landed. Well, I want to tell you that 16 years went by where they stopped building the temple. 16 years. No work on the temple was happening. Because that's what happens when opposition comes our way. Opposition can create in us fear. Opposition can create in us worry. Opposition can make us want to play things safe in life. But there's only two choices that you have when opposition comes your way. It's be led by fear, stop believing what God's called you to do, or press on even though it's scary. And pressing on requires an amount of faith and risk. If you're going to press on to do what God's called you to do, the dreams that he's put in your heart to accomplish, the vision he has for your life, if we're going to do that, it takes a good amount of faith and risk. It takes us getting our eyes off of just our immediate selves, getting the big picture of what God's doing in the earth, and going after something. And that's what God really wants us to do. So the the Israelites, they stopped building the temple. And what I love about God, this is the faithfulness of God. Even when we stop pursuing the things of God for a season, He never stops pursuing us. He never stops pursuing us. So the building of the temple was stopped in 536 BC, and it was resumed in 520 BC, 16 years later. So why did the Jewish people resume building the temple? Did they get the okay from the king? No. Did the opposition go away? No. Did people say, okay, we're not going to harm you if you start building again? No. 16 years go by, no work's being done, and then all of a sudden, in 536 BC, they resume building the temple. Why? What happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. God spoke to them through a prophet named Haggai, and he said, it's time to build again. And that's where I want to start this morning. I want to tell you there's three factors to rising and building the kingdom of God. Here they are. God speaks. We respond. God provides. God speaks. We respond. God provides. So the first thing God does is he speaks, and in Haggai chapter 1, 2 through 9, this is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty God says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house remains, while this house remains a ruin? 
Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. So we have a little bit of a rebuke here. Now, I feel bad a little bit for the Israelites because they did get an order to stop building the temple from the king. So they stopped. And 16 years goes by, and what was happening is all the Jewish people, they started just focusing on themselves. Well, we're back in our land. Yeah, we might not have a temple, but you know what? Let's build our own houses. And they started building really nice homes for themselves. In fact, I don't know this to be 100% true, but the dimensions that King Cyrus gave to build Solomon's temple, or to rebuild Solomon's temple, was bigger than Solomon's original temple. The king gave him all the materials and all the money to build a temple that would have dwarfed Solomon's temple. But they didn't do that. They built a small temple. We saw that a few weeks ago, we learned that. They built a temple. In fact, the older generation cried when they saw the size of the temple and the Lord's presence not in it. So they built a smaller temple, and there's speculation. I don't know if this is true or not, but there's speculation by scholars that they took that extra material, and they started building themselves some pretty nice homes. And so this is what God's saying is, you've stopped focusing on me, And you really started focusing on you, your family, your situation. And you know, I can't really blame them. They were in captivity and enslaved for a long time. They finally get a spot, and they're picking out their lots. Man, this one has a perfect view of the desert, and this one has a perfect view of the desert, and this one has a perfect view of the desert. I mean, they're, they're like going after like these lots, and they're building their homes, and, and it's like we're free. But God let them do that for a, a few years. And he says, okay, I speak and I'm telling you, it's time to go after my ways again. Seek my face. Put me first. It's so easy when we live with all the luxuries that we have, even today, to think outside of our own homes to think what God might be doing on the earth, to get involved in what he's doing. It's so easy sometimes to say, you know what? I've got these kids and they're all over the place and they're going to all these things and we're running around and I've got bills and I've got student loans and I've got all these things and the economy's crazy. So I'm just going to focus on me for a little while. But God's calling us to look at bigger pictures. He's calling us to be involved in what he's doing on the earth. He's calling us to rise 
and build. And this was the message he sent to his people. See, what had happened was King Cyrus II, he died in 530 BC. And for the next 10 years, there was political upheaval in the empire of Persia. Crazy things were happening, rebellions, revolts were breaking out, all kinds of things through the land. So it's finally settling down after 10 years of absolute chaos, war, murder, it's starting to calm down a little bit. And that just happens to be right when the Israelites start rebuilding the temple. And all of a sudden, this governor of the land, Tatanai, he comes around and he notices that the Jews started rebuilding this temple. And he was thinking, do they have permission to rebuild this temple? And he was confused and he was a little bit nervous because of all the other rebellion and all these other things that were happening in the land. And now he sees another nation rising up, building their land. And so he writes a letter to King Darius. And he says, hey, king, do you know what's happening here? The Jews are rebuilding the temple. And he says, they told me that they were given permission by King Cyrus to do this. Can you look that up and, and, and see if that's true? So King Darius went back into the memos when King Cyrus was around and he's looking through and he finds the decree by King Cyrus that allowed the Jews to go back to their land and build the temple. So Darius finds this, and he says, yes, King Cyrus told them they could go back. In fact, let them continue building. So they now get permission from the king to keep building. See, when God speaks, it's different than a man's opinion. You know, we got a lot of opinions out there. We got a lot of preachers with opinions. We got a lot of Christians with opinions. We got a lot of people with opinions of what God's saying. But when God actually speaks, He provides a way, a door to be open for us to walk through it. So God speaks clearly to His people. It's time to restart. They restart. And instead of getting shut down by opposition this time, they get the green light by King Darius to keep going. So God speaks is first. The second thing is we respond. We respond. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. But I want to ask you this question. What do you think God's speaking to us today? It's really easy to look at the old covenant and what God was doing in this story, but then how does that apply to us today? What do we think God is saying to us today? What's he saying to the church right now? Well, I don't know about you, but whenever I want to know the heart of God, I look at the life of Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God who walked the earth. And he had a lot to say. And he said something so powerful in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is what every believer 
No matter where in the world you've been born, no matter what your occupation is, no matter if you're a male or a female, this is the call of God to go and preach the gospel and make disciples, teaching people to obey the commands of Jesus. That's always been the Great Commission. That's always been the mission of the church. That's what God is speaking to us during this season and during this series of this time to rise and build. So what are we to teach people? He says, teach them what I've commanded you. Well, what did God command us? It's very interesting. This is all in the life of Jesus. One day someone came up to Jesus and they said, hey, what's the greatest command? What's the thing you want us to do as your followers, as your disciples? Because remember, a disciple was someone who followed the rabbi's teaching and their actions. They lived like that rabbi. So his disciples came up and said, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? What do you want us to do the most? And he gives this answer in Mark 12, 29 through 31. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the number one thing you can do is love God. Love the things of God. Always keep heaven in the back of your mind. Love the Lord. Serve the Lord. Read His Word. Spend time with Him. Worship Him. And then he says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. So Jesus gives us our marching orders. He gives the disciples of Christ two major commands, to love him above all, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the word of the Lord. That's what God is speaking to us. He spoke it then. It's still the Great Commission today. It hasn't changed. And he's speaking that to us. And now we have a choice. Are we going to respond? What is our response going to be? And in Ezra, they responded. When God told them, okay, even though you don't have permission to start building, it's time to build. They responded. I want to show you in Ezra 6, 14 through 18, it says this. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem according to what was written in the book 
of Moses. See, the people responded. And they did what was written in the book of Moses, the book of the law, the Torah, what they had as the word of God back then. They followed it. And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that the Bible is the most powerful book on the planet. It's the most powerful book on the planet. It has the ability to give life, to transform life, to understand the heart of God. I read this Bible. I believe that every word of it is God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written for us, written in a context for them, but written applies to us today. I love this word. It has transformed my life. I wouldn't know the heart of God without it. I also want to tell you that some people use this book to do some harmful things. It's happened in our country. People have justified things like slavery and oppression using some verses out of context in this book. Cult leaders have used this book in a negative way to lead people far away from Christ. They pick and choose little verses out of it, and they use it to lead people astray. The Pharisees, they used this book, the law, to gain power and authority and make themselves look better than all the other people. This is why Jesus always had a problem with the Pharisees, because they knew the Word of God. They knew it. They memorized it. They had it in their heads. But they missed the heart and the spirit of God. How could Jesus look at people who knew this word better than any other humans on the planet and say, you are leading Israel astray? You worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. How could he say that to people who knew the word? who knew it backward and forward because they knew it in their head, but they were using it for their own gain. They weren't understanding the heart and the spirit that God wanted them to have. This is why they had such a problem with Jesus. It was the religious people who got Jesus crucified. It was the people who knew the word that put him on the cross. It was the people who were supposed to be leading everyone towards the heart of God rejected the very Son of God. How is it possible that people who knew so much about the law of Moses, the Torah, the Word, could miss God so deeply? How is that possible? I don't know, but it still happens today. It still happens today that people who know the Bible don't always act in the spirit and the love of God. You're seeing it right now in our country. You're seeing it with documentaries that are coming out all over the place. Happy, shiny people. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. Documentary, the story of the Duckers and a Baptist, Southern Baptist movement, in which I believe a lot of these things started out healthy. We're going we're gonna to raise a generation on the Word of God. We're going to do it. But over time, they used Scripture to oppress and abuse women and kids. 
This has happened over and over and over again. So I want to tell you, we need to know the Word of God, but we also need to be in tune with what the Holy Spirit is saying and what the Lord's heart is behind all of this. We got to read Scripture in context. This was written a long time ago, and there's things that we need to study and learn and understand how it points to our need for a Savior. That's the important part of reading the Bible. So what does it look like for us to respond to God's voice and God's heart today? Well, God says to go and make disciples, and He says, love the Lord your God. Here's here's my two greatest commands. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So I love people. They went to Jesus and they said, well, who's my neighbor? Tell me who my neighbor is. Is that my, the person sitting next to me in church? Is that my neighbor in my house? Who's my neighbor? I love Jesus because he just, he tells them. He gives the parable of the good Samaritan here. He says, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me, let me give you an example. He said, a man was beaten and left for dead. Robbed, beaten, and left for dead. He's sitting on the road, bleeding out. And first a priest and a Levite come by, and they see this man. Now, the priest and the Levite, it's important to understand, these were the two men of God of the day. Levites led the worship and the priestly duties. Priests were in the temple of God performing sacrifice, or yeah, performing sacrifices, sacrificing, worshiping to God. So the priest and the Levite walk by this man and they see this broken man dying. And not only do they not help him, but they cross the street. Because if any of them touched, if their clothes touched this man, according to their law, they would have been ceremonially unclean. And they'd have to leave the camp and do all these rituals, and they just didn't feel like doing it. So they decided to walk on the other side of the street and leave him dying. Then a Samaritan comes along, and and this is interesting. I'm using this story on purpose because Samaritans were people who when the Jews got exiled into captivity in Babylon, and those Jews married Babylonians, they created a new race called Samaritans. They were hated by the Jews. The Jews were mad at the Samaritans. The Jews didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans because they believed they violated God's covenant when they left into exile and married people of a different race, people of a different Religion is now. So Samaritans were looked at by Jews as like, you guys are the scum of the earth. We don't want anything to do with you. And so just, this is the person Jesus uses. He knew that his audience would have been like, a Samaritan? What? Why are you a Jewish person giving any credit to a Samaritan? They are the scum of the earth. They're disgusting humans. 
They are the worst kind of human being on the planet. And Jesus said, and a Samaritan, I can hear the crowd gasping. (gasps) He said, Samaritan, walks up to this person, picks him up, gets blood all over his clothes, picks this guy up, cares for his needs, and then pays for more medical care and attention for him. And then Jesus looks at the crowd and he says this, which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and have mercy on people. Care for their needs. Minister to them. That's the Great Commission. Love God and love your neighbor. And your neighbor isn't just the person that you agree with next to you. Your neighbor is that person that in your mind you think is disgusting. You think is a heathen. You think is totally missed it. That's our neighbor. And Jesus tells us to love them and to meet their needs and to show them the love of God. That's our response. So how do we do that? How do we do that in such a polarizing world where it's so easy to get offended, it's so easy to look at someone and say, I can't believe you're doing that, you're saying that, you're not following God's word. I can't believe it. How do we do it? Well, we gotta realize a couple things, church. People who don't know Christ aren't gonna follow his ways. Sometimes I think we expect people who don't know Christ to still follow his ways. They don't. They haven't been introduced. They haven't been redeemed, sanctified, given the Holy Spirit yet. So what do we do? We be a light. We represent Christ. We love people. Listen to this in Acts 1.8. We don't have to do it alone. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God didn't leave us up to our own devices when he left the earth. He sent us the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural power to do things that aren't necessarily natural. He gives us the ability to see people with spiritual eyes. He gives us the ability to speak into people's lives. He gives us the ability to live a holy life. He gives us the ability to bring the Spirit of God into every room we walk in. We're not alone. 
But we also got to ask that the Holy Spirit would guide us. I believe we're listening to too much rhetoric these days. There's too many influencers. There's too many people giving their opinions. We need to hear the Spirit of God. Don't even take my word for it. We need to hear the Spirit of God speaking through His Word and leading us and guiding us if we are going to rise and build the kingdom of God. Because we're either going to rise and build it or we're going to destroy it. And I'd much rather rise and build it with the people of God and do this thing together so that we can celebrate the way they did when they got in that temple and they finished it and it was done and they all came together and celebrated. I believe that's gonna happen with the church. We're gonna celebrate people coming back to church, people coming back to their faith, people's lives being transformed and changed again by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it takes us walking in the Spirit to discern the Spirit. We gotta walk in the Spirit. I'm gonna give you one more verse by the Apostle Paul that has always been like this little thorn in my side, if I'm honest. I always come back to this verse because I'm like, man, how do we do this? Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, people outside the church. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Conversation full of grace and seasoned with salt. They use salt to season steak and chicken and whatever else they cooked back in the day. Salt made things taste good. How are we doing with our conversation about the very people Jesus told us to neighbor? How are we doing with this church? And I know this is hard. I know in a polarizing world, this is a hard message. But it's still the word of the Lord. This is not me, my opinion. I, this is scripture. This is what he's calling us to do. And I, I really believe, and I got to share my heart with you. And I would love, man, I would love nothing more to get up here and just encourage us all to like, just fight. I'm, th- there's nothing more I'd rather do than that, honestly. But I really believe that the the enemy is distracting the church right now. The enemy is distracting us from what God really wants to do. God's heart is to love. God's heart is to reach people who don't know him. The great commission to go in the world and preach the gospel. The good news, that's what the gospel means, the good news teaching them how to love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their mind, all their strength, all their soul, and then loving them as we love ourselves. That's the Great Commission. That's what he's calling us to do. We're so distracted right now by things going on in our own country that we forgot that this, is, that this supersedes anything. 
The kingdom of God is big. It's bigger than us. And we need to walk in the spirit and be able to discern and know what God is doing and speaking among us. I'm just super passionate about this right now and I know it's a hard message to digest and I, I am aware there are people, you're called to get involved in American politics and go after things that you think are right. Keep doing that, go after it, use your gift to do that. I'm talking about the church as a whole. Fulfilling the Great Commission, riding, rising and build, building the church. How are we gonna win people to Christ if we're fighting them? How are we gonna show them the love of God, the heart of God? How are we gonna do that? Our response is crucial in these times. I don't know if you've noticed, the world's a little crazy. It's getting a little crazier by the minute. I've never been a doom or gloom person in my life. I've never been one to predict the end of the world because people have done it for thousands of generations, but man, <laughs> it's hard to ignore that it's getting crazy. We gotta be ready. And we gotta get more people on board. So we respond. The last thing that happens in this situation is God provides. So God speaks, we respond, God provides. What I love about the story is God tells the people to start building again. And they start building the temple again. And all of a sudden, King Darius realizes, wow, I'm supposed to help and get involved in this project. Listen to this in Ezra 6, 8 through 10. Moreover, I hereby decree what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of the house of God. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of the trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Listen to this. Whatever they need, young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, olive oil, as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given them daily without fail so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. So not only did God speak and the people go, okay, I guess we're going to respond and they're probably looking over their shoulder, going, at any minute, we could get destroyed. But not only does God protect them, He provides for them everything they need, all the materials, all the money, and every sacrifice they need. And the king kind of had an ulterior motive. He's like, tell them to pray for me and my sons, too. How cool would that be? If people who didn't know Christ were like, I know your God is powerful. I know your God is one that like when he says something, he's going to do it. Could you pray for me and my family too? That's what I want to see, church. 
That's what I want to see is God providing. I'm telling you, He wants to use every single person in this church. He wants to provide for you. Maybe you're here this morning and like God's been stirring your heart to, to do something for His kingdom. He's been putting something in your heart for a long time. Maybe it's an old dream. Maybe it's a new dream, but he's putting something in your heart. He's putting something in your soul. And he's saying, now isn't the time to play it safe. Now isn't the time to just focus on you. Now's the time to roll up your sleeves, go to work and do something in the kingdom of God because you're not done yet. See, God has more for all of us. He wants to use every one of our gifts, every one of our talents together. That's the beauty of this story, is when God spoke to the people, they all got involved. All the people returned to the temple from that area, and they started working, and they got it done quickly. God wants to use this group, Community Christian Church, to do something impactful in the city of Sterling Heights, in the state of Michigan, in the country of the United States, across the world. He wants to use this group of people, and he's calling us, and he's saying, are you ready to rise again? Are you ready to sacrifice some of your own time and your own opinion for what I'm speaking and doing on the earth? I'm so proud of this group of young ladies at at our church. I'm going to embarrass them a little bit. They don't know I'm doing this, but there's a group of some young ladies in our youth ministry right now, which is led by Pastor Tyler and Darlene and who are some of the most passionate people for Christ on the planet. They're leading our youth, and some of our young ladies, they started an Instagram account called The Jesus Project. And this is pretty amazing to me. I have a picture of this. This is the Instagram account. If you notice, there's almost 3,000 followers on this account. And it says, this is their mission, empowering young women to grow in their faith He's written a couple thousand page love letter to us, but we have to allow ourselves to be loved. And if you follow them, this is a bunch of young girls talking about what it's like to be young and love Jesus. And I'm so proud of you girls. Honestly, would you stand up? I don't want to embarrass you, but would you stand? We need you. Thank you for giving us an example of what it's like to use social media for the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for what it looks like to allow God to speak to you and lead your generation towards Him instead of towards maybe your own opinions or thoughts or ideas, but towards Jesus. I so appreciate that. We need you. We need more of that. See, God provides, and he also provides platforms for us. And the more we have his heart, the bigger the platform becomes. Not always, but sometimes, and I believe this Instagram account is going to continue to grow because Jesus is all over it. The heart of Jesus is in it. The Great Commission is in it. The love of God is in it. What's, your, what's the platform God's providing for you right now? 
What is he calling you to do to bring a little bit of the light of gospel, the love of God, the great commission to our world? Because we all got to get in the game. What's the area that he has you in right now? Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's a golf league. Maybe it's another kind of pickleball group. What is it? Where does he have you planted? How can you be a light there? How can you represent him well? We have a life group semester starting in the fall and we're getting life group leaders. And I'm telling you, we need to build this ministry up. This ministry was designed to have our leaders of the church, people who feel like, hey, I want to use my gift of leadership to lead people. And it was designed to fill all the holes in our church. People who just want to do outreach and minister the love of God to people. People want to do evangelism or discipleship or just have fun together, grow together, create friendship together. Maybe God's calling you. It's time to get in the game. It's time. Time is short. And God's calling all of us to respond. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to provide because I've always provided. Throughout history of the Bible, you can see God provide. He provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. He provided materials to rebuild the temple. He provided Jesus Christ to redeem us of all of our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then he gave us the Holy, he provided the Holy Spirit and said, you have a guide. You're not alone. I'm just going to encourage us all to walk in the Spirit of God, to let God speak to us, to respond to that, and let him provide for us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you. We need your wisdom, Father. We do not need another opinion, not even mine. We need you, Lord. We need you to speak. We need you to lead us. We need you to guide us towards the spirit and heart of the Word of God. We need you to put the fruit of the Spirit in us, which is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. We need that if we're going to operate in this world. We pray you would continue to lead and guide by your Holy Spirit. We love you so much. Let's stand, church, and just sing this closing song together.